Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 5. You can also find this passage on page 5 of your bulletins. Second Samuel chapter five. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah thirty-three years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I, go up to, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, 
You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did, as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today to receive from your word, to have our faith strengthened according to your promises and according to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that uh, we would see Christ here and that our hearts would be lifted up to the heavenly Jerusalem. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. There once was a young girl who had an older brother whom she loved so very dearly. When war came to the surrounding countries, her older brother enlisted in the military and rode off to fight. The war was long. Year by year, it persisted. She would get letters from him about the distant lands he was in and and how uh, the war was going. And he promised to her that he would return as soon as the war was over. The young girl's father was an artist. And one day he came to her and said, Dear daughter, I see how much you miss your brother. Is there anything I can do? His daughter replied, Oh, I miss him so much. And it's been so long that I can hardly remember what he looks like. Her father had an idea. How about I paint a picture of him for you to put in your room so you can look at him every day and not forget? Oh, Father, would you, she said, as she clapped her hands with joy. Her father made a promise to her, saying, All right, dear one, I promise you, I will paint his portrait. You must be patient, though. These things take time, and and I, I want the painting to be one of my best. So his daughter waited day after day, week after week, as the painting slowly took form and color and and her brother's uh, familiar likeness began to come through the portrait. It was terribly hard to wait, but she knew her father had promised he would finish it. So she waited. After several months, it was finally finished. She was stunned by how handsome her brother looked in his uh, full military attire and, and with his gentle smile. He seemed to be looking right at her, and he remembered his promise to her, how he would come soon, come home soon, as soon as the war was over. Day after day, she looked at that portrait. Now she wouldn't forget what he looked like. But still, it just wasn't the same as having him home. She wanted to hear his voice. She wanted him to hug her and to tell her about, her, about all of his adventures, and she wanted life at home to return to normal. Another year passed, and so did another. They continued to get his letters. Then one day, they received a final letter. Her brother was coming home. The war was ending. And so this young girl knew she had only a few more weeks to wait until she would see her brother again. Finally, the day came when he would arrive. 
As soon as she woke, she ran to the window and looked out at the road that was coming to their house, waiting for him to ride home. Not once did she look back to his portrait. And then, right before noonday, she saw someone on a horse coming down the road. She instantly knew it was him when she saw him call out to his horse and begin galloping toward home. She called out to her family, He's here! He's here! They all ran outside and hugged him with tears. He was finally home, just as he had promised. Now this fictional story, it, it illustrates a few truths for us this morning that we see in Second Samuel chapter 5. Sometimes we have to wait a long time before a promise is fulfilled. In the story, um, the young girl was promised by her brother that he would return, and it took years for him to finally come home. Her father also made a promise to her to paint a portrait of her brother, and she had to wait a few months for that. And still, the portrait wasn't nearly the same as having her brother there at home with her in the flesh. Our passage today is, is about promises fulfilled after a long wait. God promised to David when he was in his youth that he would become king over all of Israel. And in today's passage, David finally at age 37 becomes king over all Israel and unites the whole kingdom together. So today... I want us to understand not only the surface level of the events in David's life, but also God's promises that are the foundations underneath what is happening here in chapter 5. I also want us to see that David's life is but a mere portrait of a different David, a new and better shepherd king who fulfills all the promises God has made to us, his people. Let's first look at uh, verses 1 through 5, how David, the shepherd king, unites the whole kingdom together. And then let's look under the surface of this passage to how God is at work faithfully fulfilling his promises. So verse 1, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was your king, was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. A little bit of context to this chapter. Ever since David was anointed by Samuel when he was a youth, he has had much opposition to becoming king. Goliath threatened his life. Saul threatened his life. The Philistines threatened his life. So did the Amalekites. After Saul dies... It's not David who rightfully becomes king over Israel, but rather Ishbosheth, Saul's son. So David, at this point, he's, he's faced years of endless opposition to his anointing becoming reality. Was David 
Was he just lucky or was he just a good warrior that he was able to survive this long in order to become king? No. God sustained David and gave him victories because he is faithful to his promises. God had promised to Samuel that he had chosen a king from Jesse's family and he handpicked David. God's promise to David was one of the reasons why the elders of Israel came to David to anoint him their king after Ishbosheth was brutally murdered. We see in verse 2 the elders recounting God's promise. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people king, and you shall be prince over Israel. God made a promise that David would be a shepherd prince, and he fulfilled it according to his wise timing. This reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that says that, that God is not slow in keeping his promises, as some count slowness. And that's how God works, doesn't he? Throughout the Bible, again and again, we see God making promises, and then we see God, to us it seems, he's, he's taking his time to fulfill those promises. But God is not slow, as we often feel that He is. He fulfills His promise according to His wise timing. So let's continue to wait on God for the promises that He has made to us. Our faith may be small and it may waver as time goes on, but God's promises never waver no matter how long it takes. The elders anoint David as king, and this begins his 33-year reign over all of Israel. And it marks the beginning of what we often consider to be the, uh, the golden age of Israel. During this golden age, many of the Psalms are written. Uh, Israel uh, conquers many of its enemies and expands its kingdom. And the people for the most part, uh, follow after the Lord, their God. Israel's golden age stretches from David's reign all the way through Solomon's reign. Even though this was the beginning of Israel's golden age, not everything will be so golden. We see in this passage, not only God's promise to David, but there's another promise. There's, there's a covenant here. The elders of Israel made a covenant with David that he should be their king. Now, a covenant made between men is never as safe as a promise made by God. God keeps his promises, and men only do so if it's uh, still in their favor quite often. Such was the case here. We will see later in chapters 15 and 16 that the men of Israel, they'll waver on their covenant with, uh, to, to David. And, and many will try to make Absalom, David's son, the king instead of David. So though man's promises to us fail time and time again, God's promises never fail because he fulfills his promises. He doesn't rely on fickle man to fulfill them. David's kingdom, as golden as it was, was shaky and unstable. But God's kingdom 
And his reign is secure. Now let's consider the rest of this passage here from verses 6 all the way to the end in in, uh, verse 25. And, And let's see how David, the shepherd king, will win the city of Jerusalem and then prosper in many ways and and win two decisive victories over the Philistines. Let's first consider David's victory over Jerusalem in verses 6 through 10. Then we'll consider how God continues to establish David as king in other ways. Look with me at verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up to the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. Jerusalem, the city of David, Zion, Mount Moriah, Ariel, the Valley of Vision, the city of God, the faithful city, the holy city, the mountain of the Lord, the perfection of beauty. The city of the great king. These are just some of the names for Jerusalem. It's the most important city in the whole Bible. And historically, it's one of the most important cities in all of history. Jews, Muslims, and Christians all have sacred sites there. Today, it seems like if anything even twitches over in Jerusalem, there's worldwide news about it. And then there's uh, some end times nut saying that, oh, this is a sign of the end of the world. Get ready. In uh, 2019, four and a half million people went to visit Jerusalem. And many would say that they were on a, a spiritual pilgrimage. Here's a quote from the Center for Israel Education. Indiana University professor Bernard Frischer estimates that since 2000 BCE, The city was destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked another 52 times, recaptured 44 times, been the scene of 20 revolts, many riots, and endured half a dozen separate periods of violent terrorist attacks during the past century, with the city peacefully changing hands only twice. Wow, so th- this, the city of Jerusalem has been through a lot in the past 4,000 years. And because of that, because of how important it is to not only the Jews, but also to the Muslims and to the Christians, it's been through a whole lot of turmoil. And Jerusalem is the cause of uh, the, the Crusades. So how did this great city begin? In verse 6 here, we see that Jerusalem was occupied by the Jebusites. 
So David didn't build or establish Jerusalem. He conquered it and then he built upon it, expanded it. So Jerusalem, it's a very old city and it's, it's one, of, one of the oldest cities that is still occupied today. Before it was called Jerusalem, it was called Jebus. When the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, they did not conquer the Jebusites. And in Judges 1.21 later, it says that the tribe of Benjamin also neglected to take Jerusalem from the Jebusites. It says, But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Israel had failed to do what God commanded them to do, to extinguish all the people from the promised land. And it's just so odd. And it shows their lack of faith because the land was promised to them. And not only was the land promised, but God had specifically promised to Abraham hundreds of years before that the Jebusites, specifically the Jebusites, would be defeated. He made this promise in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 18 and 19 says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, remember that, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The Jebusites. So God explicitly promised to give the land of the Jebusites to Abraham's offspring. And Israel failed to believe and take action on that promise. But God stays faithful to his promises and he fulfills them in his timing. God chose to use King David to fulfill his promise to Abraham and defeat the Jebusites and give their land to him. Once again, God gives David victory because of his promises. We also see in 2 Samuel uh, 5 verse 10 that God gave David victory because of his presence. God's promises and God's presence those are the two reasons for David's victories. So David conquers Jerusalem. Now he was, he was mocked by the Jebusites. They thought that even uh, their blind and lame citizens could uh, fend David off. But, God, but God was with David. And he may have found victory through a water shaft that would go into the city from outside the city gates. Though the exact details of how David actually won the city are left up to our imaginations. Next year in verses 11 and 12, we see God's continued blessing on David. Hiram, the king of Tyre, builds David a house of cedar. Now, we know from the span of Hiram's reign that this event happens actually much later in David's reign, not right after he won Jerusalem. But I think that this story is placed specifically here because it's an excellent example of how God established David as king and blessed him. The end of verse 12 says, 
He had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. That really speaks to the type of leader God had blessed David to be. He was a king, not for his own sake and his own fame and his own comforts, but for the sake of the good of his people. Now that's the type of leader we all want. Now David was not successful because he was perfectly following after God. We all know that. We, we see in our passage today in verses 13 and 14, just like we saw two chapters ago, that David takes more wives and more concubines, disobeying God's command in Deuteronomy 17:17, 17, 17, when God commanded that the kings of Israel are not to have many wives. I think it's important for us to see that David's sexual immorality here is going to, to, to influence and open the door even more for his adultery with Bathsheba later. Matthew Henry once wrote, Men that have once broken the fence will wander endlessly. David broke the fence of God's design for marriage with one woman, choosing to live like the kings of the nations around him. And because he took that first step to have multiple wives, the second step of having a wife that was not his own was actually a short step to take. I've heard it once said that he who falls into adultery never falls far. And I believe it to be true here of David. So David was a disobedient king in this regard. But even still, God chose to fulfill his promises through him and to unite all Israel together and, establish, and to establish Jerusalem as his holy city. This brings us to the last section in chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. In summary, we see that David has two separate victories over the Philistines. Before both battles, David inquired of the Lord what he should do. And God answered and gave him victory. This was David's strength, that he would pray to the Lord and seek guidance from him. Prayer is our strength too, brothers and sisters. And like David's victory over the Jebusites, David's victory over the Philistines here is also a fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham in Genesis 15. For the Philistines were Canaanites. They were Canaanites. And God promised to give the land of the Canaanites to Abraham's offspring. So we need to see each one of David's victories as a fulfillment of God's promises. David's success should speak more loudly uh, to us of God's faithfulness than of David's strength or his faithfulness. So David defeats the Philistines. And this, uh, these two victories that he has, then uh, uh, really after, after this, David doesn't have too many issues with the Philistines. They're still kind of around here and there, but as a whole... 
Um, These are pretty decisive victories for David over the Philistines. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. And as you're turning there, let's return to the story I shared at the beginning. In it, the young girl gets a portrait of her older brother from her father. Her brother who had left for war. As she waited for her older brother's return, this portrait helped her remember what her brother looked like. King David is like that portrait. He's a picture of someone whom we're all waiting for. He's not the full reality of that person. David is a picture of Christ. The Bible makes this explicit in in several passages, and, and one of those passages is Ezekiel 34. So, uh, let's look there right now. Ezekiel 34, let's look. Let's start in verse 15, and then we'll uh, move around a little bit in there. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. So God promises to find his sheep who are scattered around the world. Now let's move down to verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. So God promises to be the shepherd of his people. He's going to be the shepherd himself. Unlike the kings throughout Israel's history who failed to lead, God promised to be the true shepherd to bring his people peace. Now let's move down a few more verses. Down to verse Verses 23 and 24. It says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So Ezekiel prophesies here that God will establish his servant David as his shepherd who will rescue and find all of his sheep and unite them together. Now at this point, David has been dead uh, for, for many, many, many years when this prophecy is taking place. So it clearly points to someone else. Isn't it interesting that in verse 15, God promises to be the shepherd of his people himself. He's going to be the shepherd. And then in verse 23, he said he's going to set up David as his shepherd. So who's going to be the shepherd? Is God going to be the shepherd? Or this future David? Or both? The only way to explain this is to see this as a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new and better David. He's the shepherd king. He is also God. In John 10, which we read earlier in our service, Jesus says, 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our older brother whom we have been waiting for. He's the good shepherd that will be our king, that we have been promised all along. Jesus also says in John 10 that he, like David, will unite all of his people together. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus was a good shepherd, and he died like a lamb for his sheep. He took the punishment for our sins that we deserved. By his death, he has purchased people from all around the world. So as he is reigning up in the heavenly Jerusalem, on David's heavenly throne, he is rescuing his people, his sheep, from all of his and our enemies. And he's uniting together all of us into one kingdom. One flock. Just as David was a portrait of Jesus, so also Jerusalem is a portrait of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as we, as we heard, Jerusalem has always been a city of great turmoil and, and instability. But we have a better city, an unshakable city from God. Hebrews 12 says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And then farther down it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. We have an unshakable king who fulfills all the promises of God to us, and he has given us an unshakable city. Let's continue to wait patiently for God to bring to us all that he has promised. He will do that soon when he comes riding back on his white horse. Let us eagerly wait the return of this shepherd king. Let's pray. Lord Christ, we worship you this morning that you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. We thank you that you have died for us and you have brought us into your flock and you've given us a city, a better city than any city here on earth, a city that is secure. Help us to, to rest in your promises. Help us to, be, be, to patiently wait for your promises to be fulfilled. You are not slow, but you fulfill your promises according to your good timing. So help us to wait. Lord, help us to believe the promise that you have given to us from Psalm 37, that those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In Jesus' name, amen.